Hello and welcome to the LVP Architects podcast. Hello and welcome back. Um, in this podcast, we'll be talking very briefly about tenders. So how this works is every procurement route will have a tender at some point. Sometimes there are two, depending if it's single or two stage. And you need quite a few tenders to make it competitive, regardless of which procurement route. Any prospective contractor needs to receive an invitation to tender. And in most cases, that's usually followed by a successful sort of pre-qualification questionnaire, PQQ. Obviously, that's dependent on who the client is and how big the project is and how complex. Um, if it's a small extension, you wouldn't really go through all of that. So secondly, the exact point of when a tender occurs is dependent on the type of procurement route. And it obviously relates to the way the planner works. Thirdly, the tender package should contain relevant information based on what the procurement route sets out. So this information is usually the ERs, the employment's requirements, and the level of detail of that will be dependent on the procurement route. In the previous podcast, I spoke about, you know, traditional and how it's going to be quite detailed information that you produce. DMB might be a lot less information because the contractor's going to take a lot of the design responsibility. And if it was um, management contracting procurement route, obviously you'll have quite a lot of tenders because there'll be a lot of different packages that will be going out at different times. So the the main point of a tender is you want a contractor to price on information and give you as best price as you can get and as accurate. Um, and then the client will make a decision and appoint the winning tender. So the question of what goes in a tender det is determined one by the procurement route and two the complexity of the project. If you have very little information, the contractor is going to make guesses or won't be able to make a, a, make a suitable cost because it's too vague. They may overinflate the price to cover that. So obviously um, a two-stage tender would allow, would be, the first stage would be very loose information. Um, you know, guesswork is really involved in their price. They'll make a, a best judgment on, you know, if there's an agreement of what kind of construction type it will be, you know, steel frame, you're going to use potentially cladding, um, of a certain type, internal spaces will be an office fit out. You know, they they the contractor can use their previous experience. You know, some how the market is, the costs associated to that, and and roughly go right. You've got X meter squared of this. It'll be this much. And then as they progress and they kind of see it evolving, when it comes to the second stage tender. Um, Obviously, the design has progressed quite a lot, so it will be more accurate. And they can, at that stage, a contractor can tender on it and can reflect more accurately the costs associated with building that developed scheme and advise as well, you know, how best some tenders there, they ask how to, what cost savings could they do, what VE could be done. So there are some types of tendering. There's open tendering. As you can imagine, this is open to everyone and anyone. Um, on larger projects, there may, like I've said, there may be some PQQs that you just have to go just for them to narrow those shortlist down. So, but the, the important thing is PQQ system is not the same as selective tendering. Uh, selective tendering only allows suppliers to submit tenders by invitation. Right, 
So there's clear difference in a PQQ type of open tendering and a selective tendering. So a negotiated tendering is a single supplier, maybe a single contractor, maybe appropriate for a certain specific scope of a project. There are other forms as well. I'm a little less um, familiar with serial tendering, but serial tendering involves a preparation of tenders based on typical or notional bill of quantities or schedule of works. And the rates that are submitted can be used to value works over different types of very similar projects and over a fixed period of time. So what this allows is it can reduce tender costs and encourage contractors or subcontractors to submit much lower rates because there's a chance of ongoing program of works. So there's uh, framework tendering and it's linked with framework agreements and framework is a procurement type and basically what that allows is it's a client who has ongoing or continuous projects um, and they want to kind of produce a list of architects and structural engineers and contractors um, with agreed schedule of rates or charges or breakdown of resources and overheads and all the rest. And, and that's all agreed in a framework agreement so that when a project comes, they have a short list and it might be like five or 10 or whatever. And they'll say, right, this is a certain project of X amount value. And this is the agreed list, right? We will go to that lot. So uh, another one is um, public procurement tendering. So it's public projects or publicly subsidised projects, which may be subject to OGU procurement procedures. So depending on the procurement type, um, the type of tender documentation may vary slightly, but usually within it, there is a letter of invitation to tender, the form of tender, so the rules and deadlines and dates of when these things and format that it has to be submitted in. Um, sometimes they'll have preliminaries that they need, um, the form of contract, the contract conditions and amendments, a tender pricing document, employers information requirements, so EIRs, um, the ERs, the employments requirements, design drawings, you know, specifications, and then the tender return. And then that is bunched together and sent and the contractor has to go through it and respond respond in the type and format that is wanted so that they can be compared. All of this is sealed. You know, contractors can't talk to each other um, when they submit. Then they're not opened until the deadline. So they'll sit there closed. And then when they're opened, no one should be really revealing to anyone else what the price was or what the what the offer was by the contractor it's supposed to you know it's supposed to be very neutral so this comes on to some tenders um, have a weighting system so it could be that you know their experience is weighted as 50 percent um their cost is 30 percent uh history of works and references is you know 10 percent and so forth um so that it creates a more balanced and fairer way of tendering. So it's not just, some clients may just say, it's not all about money. Yes, we want a fair price, but we want someone who's experienced to do this office building or this lab or whatever. Okay, I think that's probably as much as need to be said about tenders for, you know, all of these podcasts is about related to part three 
exam and case study. So this is why it's it's so loose and overview. You know, you then go further into more detail and revise accordingly so you understand it clearly because once you've qualified, you know, you have to enact this. You have to understand it. So I think we'll stop there. Hopefully this has been of some help and not too convoluted. If you have any questions, you know, like I've said before in other podcasts, I'll figure a way of recapping and then maybe linking in questions and podcasts that respond to that. Um, The next podcast will be on the building contract. It's all slowly linking in and, and these are subjects that you need to know so you can respond accordingly. I hope this podcast has been helpful and you'll tune in for the next one. As always, if you found this interesting and helpful and you want more information on uh, the part three, then please, by all means, go to the Amazon website and purchase my ebook called Unofficial Guide to the Architectural Part Three by LVP Architects. See you next time. (laughs) 